Uh, We've been studying the Gospel of of Mark. This paragraph in Mark 2 is is absolutely stunning, but it requires a little bit of following the picture that Mark is going to paint for us. And Mark is putting three accounts together that we might be tempted to hold in isolation. And, And when we see what Mark is doing by connecting these three events from Mark 2 verse 18 all the way to chapter 3 verse 6, we're going to be given this beautiful picture about who Jesus is and what that means for us in our lives. And so you might have been going along with the reading and you think the whole wineskins and clothing thing, how are we going to do a sermon out of that? You'll see it really flows into a, a, a great teaching about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. You have in chapter 2 and verse 18 of Mark's gospel, really a question of fasting that is brought up. You have John's disciples and the Pharisees, they are fasting, but people are observing, it says in verse 18, that it's the disciples of Jesus that do not fast. Now, it is useful to observe that you aren't going to go anywhere into the Old Testament and read, all right, you are required to do all these different fastings on all these different days throughout the week, throughout the year, anything like that. You're only going to find one required time of fasting, and that was for the Day of Atonement. But what is being told to us here has important cultural background is that what the Pharisees would do is that two days a week, in fact, we know that it was Mondays and Thursdays, funny enough, uh, that two days a week they would fast. And they did that out of piety and righteousness. And in fact, you can even catch that in Luke chapter 18, where they talk about I fast twice a week is what the Pharisee declares. Uh, So this is something that they were doing in that first century. And so this question now is presented about Jesus. Well, how come your disciples aren't as pious as we are? You know, we're fasting. We fast twice a week and and they put great weight to righteousness on that. And why do your disciples not do that? And really, the rest of what Jesus does all the way to chapter 3, verse 6, is all dealing with that answer in an expression about who Jesus is. Jesus' answer is pretty interesting in verse 19 when he says, Can the wedding guests fast? While the bridegroom is with them, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Very important, necessary background. Back then, first century, particularly in Jewish weddings, weddings lasted a long time. You catch that in John 2 when you know we have the whole we run out of wine. And it's, well, it's not like the party's over in an hour. We're talking about a week-long ceremony. This is a major festival that took place where people from all over the village would come and celebrate. And so what Jesus is, is doing here is saying, this is a time of joy, a time of celebration, fasting has the opposite meaning. That's considered a time of mourning. And I know the last time you were at a wedding, that's what everybody did was a bunch of fasting and they had their heads down and they were all very somber and upset and nobody ate a thing. Now, even in our culture, we have a little bit of that festive nature about a wedding. A wedding has taken place. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. Let's enjoy the time. 
And this is the imagery that Jesus is getting here because he's saying it would be entirely inappropriate for my disciples to be fasting because this is a time of celebration. The king has come. The kingdom is coming near. The bridegroom is with you. Now is the time for joy. Now is the time for celebration. Fasting would be entirely inappropriate at this moment. And notice, that's what the next two illustrations do. There's been a whole lot of things about how to handle old claws and new claws and old wineskins and new wineskins. But the whole point of the two illustrations is to show that it would be completely incompatible for those disciples to be fasting when it's a time of rejoicing. Just as it is completely ridiculous and incompatible to put a new cloth on an old garment or to put new wine in old wineskins. That's not what you do. Something different has arrived. There is a change that is to occur. And that should be underlined from what we're seeing in this background of John's disciples are fasting. The Pharisees are fasting. And Jesus is coming along with his disciples. And he's saying, now it's no fasting. Now something different has arrived. Now we're no longer waiting for something. We're no longer in a time of mourning. We're in a time of celebration. We're in a time of excitement. We're in a time of a festal gathering. And that is the idea of what Jesus is trying to communicate. Is that Jesus is bringing something new. Mark is just going to underline this for us over and over again. And we've already seen this somewhat up to this point. That Mark is telling us that Jesus has come and what Jesus is bringing is no compatibility to the present system by which the Jewish system and the Pharisees are operating. To put it like another way, Jesus hasn't come to just kind of be an add-on to the Jewish system. You know, this is a lot of the conflict that occurs is here's the, the, the Jewish system, the law of Moses and all these things. And you'll always notice the bell say, and why do you do this? And you're always doing something, Jesus, your disciples, you're always doing something that's completely different than everybody else right now. And Jesus is going to show that that is with complete intention. Because Jesus has not come to just be integrated into the law of Moses and be integrated into that Jewish system and he'll just fit right on in and everybody just carry on the way you were carrying on. You know, yep, Jesus has arrived, your Messiah is here, but no changes, just everything's just going to keep going status quo. That's not the idea at all. Jesus is coming and something radical now is happening. It is a complete change. It's a new idea, a new system. And Jesus already done that. We're back in Mark 1. Jesus goes into the synagogue. And as he's teaching, do you remember their response? A new teaching with authority. He doesn't come in and just go, Isaiah says, and that's what Isaiah meant. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. He's coming in and saying, it's all about me. (laughs) It's all been pointing to me. I'm the fulfillment of all these things. In fact, we get one of those instances in Luke's Gospel. Unroll the scroll, read Isaiah, spear the Lord's upon me, roll it back up, hand it to the attendant, fulfilled in your hearing, sits down. (laughs) 
new system is here. whole new way of teaching. A whole new idea is being brought out. That's why Jesus uses this imagery here to communicate this idea of a whole new era, a whole new order. And to tie into Isaiah, which Mark is using. Remember, Isaiah uses language of there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to be a whole new era when the Messiah comes. It's not just going to simply be And everybody kept doing what they were doing. It's not going to be the same old order, same old system. When you read those prophets, you are seeing a whole new era. A whole new world. Isaiah is picturing new heavens, new earth. Ezekiel, he pictures, look at what's going to happen. Temple, immeasurable practically. It was ridiculous the heights and the size of what is measured off of that thing. No way an actual physical human structure could work with the size of what Ezekiel visualizes in this great temple. Whole new system is coming. Whole new idea. And notice how Jesus is completely different than from the prophets. Because when the prophets are coming, what are they telling Israel to do? You know, submit to the law. Here's what the law says, and you need to submit to it. And Jesus doesn't go around saying, Deuteronomy says, Exodus says, Leviticus says, Jesus comes in and goes, I say. Whole new system. It's a whole new era. Hebrews 1 hits that. Prior times, God spoke those ways, but now, whole new era, whole new system, whole new order. And Jesus then is coming to fulfill the law. And what you are seeing Jesus try to begin to indicate as these paragraphs unfold is that the law of Moses, the Jewish system in that old way is now all giving way to Christ. It's all been pointing to Him. And that old system is being set aside. The old system was an age of promise. Here's all the promises of God. And with the arrival of Christ, it is the time of fulfillment. Now everything that God said was going to happen is now occurring in Christ. And thus you are getting these visuals in Mark already. Remember how Mark opens with Jesus. And at that baptism scene, we have the heavens torn apart. We talked about in that lesson, that's like this merging of heaven and earth almost at this moment. Here is heaven coming down and reaching into earth as the heavens are torn open. It's a whole new age at the baptism of Jesus. New order is here. And by the way, same word used at the end of Mark's Gospel when Jesus is killed on the cross and the curtain of the temple is torn open as well. The end of the old system, the end of the old age, a new era has arrived in Christ. And this is the visual that Mark wants to give, and it's the message that you see that that Jesus is trying to communicate. Now, if you have that in mind, new era, new system, the king has arrived, it's a time for joy and festivities, it is not a time of mourning and fasting. Be inappropriate to do that. These next two accounts that are given to us. Now express that idea. Notice verse 23 of Mark 2. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. 
And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Notice the the picture that's given here. So Jesus says one Sabbath in verse 23, He's going through the grain fields and they are plucking heads of grain. In verse 24, the Pharisees are saying, Why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? The Mishnah has all kinds of laws and rules and this is one of them. You are not allowed to pluck grain on the Sabbath. That was work. But what I want us to do when we study what happens here in Mark is not be so quick to defend Jesus in trying to justify what He does. Because that's not Mark's intention. The answer that Jesus gives is slightly different than what Matthew records Jesus giving in that account. And it's easy for us sometimes to run other places and go, well, see, this proves this. And what Mark wants to show us is pretty fascinating. I want you to consider, if we were to, as we're reading this, we go, well, of course Jesus isn't a lawbreaker, right? So we've got to figure out some way to defend Jesus so that he's not seen as a lawbreaker because we can't have Jesus do that. But notice what Jesus does not do. Jesus does not defend Himself by saying, well, the law never said that work was plucking grains. That's your laws, that's your traditions, and you know, let's use a Bible passage, and you have a fine way of keeping your traditions and disregarding the commandments of men. That's not His answer. Jesus does not defend Himself by saying, You are upholding traditions and not the law. That's not his defense. But notice his defense is also not, well, if you're hungry, then it's okay because nourishment and humanitarian needs trump the law. And I would argue that's actually what Matthew's point is. Go and see what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's what Matthew wants you to think about is that. But Mark doesn't give that answer either. Look at the answer Jesus gives in verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. That's His answer. (laughs) There's no, well, you've got the law wrong. There's no, you know, well, it was okay for David to eat it. In fact, He points out in verse 26, it wasn't lawful. He says it right there. It wasn't lawful for Him to do it. So what's Jesus doing? What's the answer that Jesus is giving and how does this all fit together? Here's, I believe, the point that it's getting at. If David, who is the Lord's anointed and his companions, could eat this consecrated bread, how much more so the Messiah, the son of David, and his companions... The whole point is to drive at this regulation, to get them to understand that if these regulations that were there to protect the holy could be set aside because of the kingship of David, he's king. 
therefore it's okay. Then how much more me, the Son of Man, who by the way is Lord of the Sabbath. That is the argument that is being made. In fact, the situations are extremely parallel and it makes sense why Jesus would use David at this moment. Remember when David is is doing this as he goes and eats from, from the consecrated bread. The situation that David is in. He's anointed. He's not enthroned yet. Well, that's where Jesus is at. We've seen the anointing of Jesus at his baptism, but he's not enthroned yet. That's still to come. David, as the anointed king, he has authority, but it's not yet recognized by most of Israel. A few of his companions recognize it. He's got kind of a motley crew with him. And they all recognize his authority and follow him wherever he goes. But most of Israel does not accept David yet. And that is true at this moment with Jesus as well, is that most of Israel is not accepting Jesus' authority except these companions that are going around with him. To understand this picture is really beautiful because what Jesus is doing is saying, these actions of mine are actually deliberate. I am doing this with intention. So that you would understand who I am. That a new era has arrived, a new system has arrived, that the king has arrived, and that my authority is greater than the law. Now I know if you're like me for a long time, I've struggled with what this text is doing. And I finally had this aha. Yay. We have this happen here all the time since our current president has his home here. And when his motorcade comes, he runs every red light there is. Right? Because is he a lawbreaker because his motorcade runs every red light? Well, (laughs) yes, but no, because his authority is greater than the traffic lights. The traffic lights are of no consequence. He needs to get where he's going. And we don't stop that car for anything for his own protection. So he's greater than the traffic light laws. This is what Jesus is doing right here. I'm not the lawbreaker because I'm greater than the law. That's his whole answer. Notice that's how he is. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> that can't con- constrain me. That'd be like trying to get a cop to pull over the president for a traffic-like ticket. No, that's not going to work. His authority is greater than that. That's what Jesus is expressing here. I am greater than that. It is completely different what I am doing. I'm not a lawbreaker. I am expressing who I am. By intentionally going out there and having his companions and disciples eat of those those heads of grain, he's showing exactly who he is. He does it with purpose. He's trying to get them to understand. Your king has arrived. Someone great has arrived. And you are supposed to see that what he's doing is acceptable because he's the king. He's not average Israelite. He's not just some guy. 
He is the anointed one who stands greater than the law of Moses, who stands greater than all the laws of the universe because He is King over it all. That's the answer that Mark wants us to see when it comes to Jesus and Him being Lord of the Sabbath. Now watch how that plays into this next one. Chapter 3, verse 1. Terrible chapter break. I say that all the time. Verse 1. Again He entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. Okay, it's the Sabbath again. (laughs) Do you like how Jesus intentionally does this on the Sabbath? He's trying to state who He is. He's doing that with a reason. It's a deliberate sign to them that you would understand that I'm greater than the law. I'm greater than these things. Your King has arrived. But look at verse 2. And they watched Jesus to see whether He would heal Him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse Him. Wow. Wow. Jesus comes into a synagogue. Here is a man with a withered hand. And the first thing that the people think about is, is he going to break the Sabbath? Nobody's thinking about, does he have the power to heal that man? That doesn't even seem to be a question. They know he can. The question is, will he do it? And thus, in their minds, break the Sabbath. Verse 3, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. Just imagine, here's the synagogue. I'm going to try to visualize it here. There's the man with the withered hand. And just, okay, come up right here. And then says to all the people, verse 4, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? And the end of verse 4 says, And they were all silent. Is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? I could, I just, you have to just see that scene. Here's the man with the withered hand standing right there. Here's Jesus standing right there. All right to do good by him right now? Do we need to come back tomorrow? Good today? Look at verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness, of heart. They've missed everything. They've missed absolutely everything. Here is this man with a withered hand. And he looks around to all of them and say, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? It's lawful to do harm. Now just imagine that idea for a minute. If Jesus does not heal him after he's pointed him out and brought him right there, and then just walks away and goes, well, I'm sorry. That's harm. Should he just walk away? I used this illustration uh, yesterday. Um, My dad liked to torment me as a kid. One of the ways he liked to torment me is if we were like driving by an ice cream place, he'd say, hey, Brent, do you want to get some ice cream? And I'd go, yeah, that sounds great. He goes, okay, great. Keep on driving. <laughs> He'll tell you he didn't do that, but he did. <laughs> That's the idea right here. Here's Jesus. 
Man with a withered hand. Is it lawful to do good right now on the Sabbath? And they all, what's going to be the answer? You're going to say no and set them back down and walk off? Well, okay. You're be like, are you kidding me? You just brought him to the edge of anticipation. You told the man, come right up here. Should we do good by him or not? And they are just silent. Nobody is saying, of course we do good. Of course we should do good by this man. That's what the whole Sabbath was about. It was something that was good. Do you know what the Sabbath was all about? We've been working with this with Exodus. We've seen it in Leviticus. We're going to see it in Numbers. The Sabbath comes up again and again. It was a time when God had come and set free and restored Israel. The Sabbath was all about the rescue of people. The healing of Israel, drawing them out of their slavery and drawing them into the promised land to make them whole again and bring them into God's relationship as His people. They apparently had no idea what the Sabbath was about. Because to ask the question whether you can do good on the Sabbath misses everything if you can't figure out. The whole of the Sabbath was to remember the good that God had done for you. The whole point of it was not to figure out all the things that you could and could not do. Their rules were ridiculous. You should go read those sometime. If you were sitting on a roof and you dropped your scroll of the Scriptures, depending upon which way it fell, determined if it was okay to pick it up or not and if it was work. Exhausted. You've completely missed the point. You were supposed to remember how you were slaves in Egypt and God delivered you as out by a mighty hand with great wonders and signs and brought you and made you His people in the wilderness. That's what it was supposed to be all about. The Sabbath was about hope. The Sabbath was about healing. The Sabbath was about rest. It was about all of these great ideas. And here is this man. And he has a withered hand. Is it okay to give this man hope and to heal him and give him rest at this moment? And they are so hard-hearted that they couldn't care at all about him. Verse 2 says, all they want to know is if we can accuse this guy for healing on a Sabbath. In fact, look at verse 6. You won't believe it. After the end of verse 5, Jesus says, Stretch out your hand. The man lifts his hand up. Boom, it's restored immediately. Verse 6, they leave to destroy him. How can we, how can we destroy Jesus? You've missed everything. What Mark is showing us in these three accounts is the most amazing picture of Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. And what that means has humongous implications. One, that Jesus is coming in, bringing in this new era. He is bringing in a whole new order. He wasn't supposed to come in and just simply carry on the Ten Commandments and carry on the Law of Moses and carry on the sacrifices and carry on all those things. Nor was He walking around saying, you guys need to fix your sacrifices. You're not doing it quite right. You need to fix it. He doesn't do any of that. Think about the life of Jesus. That is never where He goes. It is always an overthrowing in that sense of something new has arrived 
that is fulfilling all of that. All of those things were shadows and images pointing to Jesus. And the Sabbath was supposed to be the biggest pointer of all. Friends, Jesus is that Sabbath. Everything about Jesus points to the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was longing for that time when Jesus would arrive because Jesus is the one who truly gives the rest that we need. He is the one that gives us the hope that we enjoy. He is the one that gives us the help that we need. He is the very definition of how God rescues people out of slavery and sets them free. The Sabbath was built around the idea of what Jesus was going to come and do. Our help, our hope, our restoration, our healing, our joy, our rest, our satisfaction... Everything is supposed to be in Him. And that's why we have this verse that we probably know pretty well. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And I'm going to give you rest. This is what the whole of history was waiting for was the arrival of Jesus was the arrival of the true rest, the true help, the true rescue, the true hope, the true deliverance, the true joy, and the true life. I just want to end on one singular idea. We have all tried to find our help, our hope, our rest, our peace, our comfort, our joy, and our restoration and our healing and everything else but Jesus. And then we wonder why we're broken and helpless and hopeless and joyless, depressed and hurt. Because all of history was pointing to this grand moment of the Lord of the Sabbath who is going to bring the rest that we truly need. Think about it on a very simple level. It's very similar to our day and time. You put yourself into the time of the law of Moses, and every Saturday rolled around, and you had rest. God blessed the people. Do you know work? Remember me. Worship me. Remember how you were slaves in Egypt. And don't you dare lift a finger. Just rest and remember me. But eventually the next day came. And the rest was over. We all kind of feel that too on the weekends, right? You finally get your rest. But it's always temporary. And you're back at it again. Because these were pictures of a permanent rest to come. And how sad it is that we do is we keep trying to find rest in everything else but the one who can give permanent rest. Try to find it in work. Try to find it in family. Try to find it 
in our stuff, in our wealth, in our cars. We just, we're going to find that true restoration, that true comfort, that true joy. We're going to finally find it this time. And then Monday comes. And it's back to the same old, same old. And we're back to helpless, hopeless, empty, joyless. And instead of seeing Jesus as the one who gives the true rest that we need, we tell ourselves, well, I didn't buy the right car. Maybe it's this one. I should have bought the better computer. I should have got the better job. I should have bought the better house. I should have got a different wife or a different husband. Or I should have had more kids or no kids. Or we just start plugging in all these things that are going to be the answer to change it all and make it all better. And so we plug it in. And what happens? It's not the answer again. Monday comes. All of this was pointing to Jesus being the true rest. But you have to come to him and give him your life and truly find rest in him. See him as Lord of the Sabbath, who has come to rescue, come to heal, come to save, come to deliver you, come to deal with you and give you everything you're yearning for that we keep trying to find everywhere else. He is the hope and comfort and rest. We're going to sing an invitation song and we invite you to come to Jesus. We invite you to think about who he is and how Mark portrays him as the authority, the great king. And in his authority over the law, he comes to rescue. He comes to heal. He comes to save. He does good. He brings hope and he brings help. He gives us the very answers that we need for life. And we encourage you to consider your life, to turn away from seeking the things of this world. We all know the emptiness of this world. We've done it. We've tried it. It doesn't work. Monday still comes around again. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your life in his hands. Follow him faithfully. Serve him with all of your heart. Let him be your rest. He gave you a promise. If you will come to me and give me your burdens, I will give you rest. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?